Here we go. Okay, guys. This week, we have a lot to talk about. I actually, this was my first or second, I think this is my first class that I gave online on the Parsha last year. I started this week's Parsha one year ago, giving a weekly class on the Parsha and to you guys on Zoom. And uh, it's been an awesome journey for me personally. I hope you guys have enjoyed. And uh, last year, what I used to do when I uh, when I gave the weekly class is I used to ask every single point in the Parsha and try and tie it all together with one unified theory. This year, I'm a little less ambitious and try to just do one idea so that hopefully we can actually get an, something clear as opposed to me trying to just be really creative and cram it all in into uh, 45 minutes. Hey, Becca, welcome. Glad you're here. All right. Amazing. So in this week's Parsha, we actually have two Parshas this week. Two for the price of one, which means I'm really behind because I have to somehow finish re learning both of them by Shabbos. So the first Parsha is called Tazria, and it talks about impurity by people. So there's something called spiritual impurity, and it comes around things that have to do with usually reproductive, reproduction or reproductive organs, and oozing substances. So um, that's what it's about. There's an impurity that goes along with uh, certain bodily processes, and we're going to learn all about it. No, we're not. We won't learn all about it, but we're going to learn the, the overlying spiritual reason for it, or at least one explanation, which I think is fantastic, and we'll get to it, okay? Or maybe we should start with it. You know what? Heck, we'll start with it, all right? But let me just tell you the second portion, which we're not going to get into. Last year, I did try to tie it all together, and it does fit in beautifully, but next week is talking about another type of impurity which is called Saras. The second Parsha, sorry, not next week, the second Parsha in this week's double header is called Mitsora, which is about something called Saras, which is kind of like leprosy. It's like a skin condition. And what's really cool about that one is if you remember learning about it last year, people were really excited because the some of the great rabbis of our time asked were asked why coronavirus was happening. And this is, we're going back a year. And one of the greatest rabbis, the leading rabbi in Israel, his name is Rechaim Kenievsky, who's extremely old and very holy and learns all day, probably like 18 hours a day, 20, 20 hours a day, probably sleeps about two, three hours a night. And uh, he's very old. And they asked him, why is coronavirus happening? And he said, because of Lashon Hara. Lashon Hara, for those of you that don't know, is speaking negatively about each other. Gossip. Negative speech. Lashon Hara means bad speech. And the punishment spiritually for Lashon Hara, according to the Torah, is you get this skin condition. This leprosatic skin condition. And what the consequence of getting it is you have to quarantine outside the camp and live on your own. And so we were all quarantined last year wearing masks. And people said, what could be the reason for coronavirus? Well, it's this germ that's spread through your mouth. So maybe it corresponds to the spiritual germs that we put out there when we speak badly about each other. So that was the connection uh, that a lot of people made last year. But we're not going to talk about that. Hey, Kate. Welcome. 
Great to see you too. We gotta catch up. Okay. So this week what we're gonna talk about is the difference between men and women on a spiritual level. Why are we gonna talk about it this week's parsha? Because I'll start off and just share with you the first few lines of the parsha. The parsha begins by saying when a woman conceives and gives birth. When a woman conceives and gives birth, if it is a boy, she should be impure for seven days. And on the eighth day, he should get circumcised. And if it's a girl, she will be impure for 14 days. And that's it. But I want to open that up a little bit because there's some problems there. Anyone want to ask any questions? What do you mean? Great. So two questions. One is why is the boy circumcised and not the girl? Dan is Daniel is here. So now we can really start. Why is does nothing happen? Why does the boy get circumcised and not the girl? And there is such a thing as female circumcision, although it's supposed to be very barbaric and not a nice thing. But I don't know, she cut her earlobe a little bit or something. I don't know. Why not do something for a girl? Because the Brit the circumcision in Hebrew is called a bris. Does anyone know what a bris means? Covenant. It means like a really tight pact, a deep relationship. So first question is, why are we celebrating our deep relationship with God on that part of the body? And second of all, don't women deserve that sign of that relationship on their bodies? At least give them a tattoo or something. <laughs> so um, we got to understand that. Okay, there you go. Don't don't tell me where. Um, okay. Okay, good, 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 good. But women already have ear piercings. So, and according to the Torah, according to the Torah, by the way, women should have nose rings also. It's in the Torah. In the Torah, nose rings. Nose. It's not. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe nowadays it's not considered like a. I don't know, a respectable thing. I don't think that's true, but I don't I don't know that you can't get one nowadays, but for sure the Torah, for sure in the Torah, women had nose rings. Okay. No, I can't. It, it just says nose rings in the Torah that one of the gifts that, that Avraham sent his servant Eliezer with to Rivka when, when, they, uh, when he asked Rivka to marry his son, was a nose ring. He gave her a nose ring as a gift. Probably, yes. All right. <laughs> so, no, no, we're not going off on nose Guys, we have an agenda here. All right, stay focused. So, I need your help to help me stay focused. So, um, so and second of all, why is she more impure 
for a girl than for a boy. So let's start before we jump into the uh, topic at hand. Let's just start by explaining the impurity. Okay, I'm going to tell you all the things that are associated with impurity, and you tell me what they all have in common. Okay, a dead body is considered the highest form of impurity. You touch a human dead body, you are impure spiritually, and you need to go through a whole purification process afterwards. Okay, um, what else? Uh, a woman who gives birth is impure. Menstruation cycle, impure. Male uh, release of uh, sperm is impure. Right? Bingo! Who said that? Eleonora. Eleanor, what's your last name? Are you from New York? Nice. <laughs> Loss of potential. Let's think about it. Why would a woman become impure after giving birth? She just gave life. She didn't lose potential, did she? Ah. So then why would she be impure more when she gives birth to a girl? <laughs> so without having to go into that answer, which perhaps is the answer, but even more simplistically, a woman has double loss of potential. Why? Because a girl has within her potential for life. So it's a double loss of potential life. So that's a good jumping off point. So does anyone have any questions on spiritual, spiritual impurity? Becca's not happy with it. Why, Becca? Nope. If you want, you could call it Tuma. If you don't like the English, just call it Tuma. That's what it's called in Hebrew. But it means impure. <laughs> yeah. And if so, what? What's the point of your question? Watch it, buddy. We're on. Uh, we're on Facebook. We're on uh, my podcast now. I know. I know. Wait, Daniel. What? What's your question? What does that have to do with impurity? Or are you just asking as a as a side point? Not if it's waste. Even if it's used. It still becomes impure because he lost the potential life force that was in him. Even if it makes a child, they're just the release of its millions of potential lives that were just killed. One became a child, but the rest were all killed. The, the rest were, were lost. Uh, for sure. For sure. It's part of the natural reproductive process. 
Okay. There's nothing negative. We didn't say that impurity, yeah, it is negative. A dead body is the greatest source of negativity. It's the loss of a life, right? The reproductive process, even, even when life is created, it's still a loss of potential, right? On the male side, because there's millions of sperm that did not make it. And on the female side, for sure, each month, there's a loss of potential life, right? That's where there's an impurity associated with menstruation. There's a loss of potential. There was a child that could have been born that month and wasn't. But even in the birth of a child, she had within her, she was full of double life and it left her. And there's a rule basically is that nature abhors a vacuum. And it's the same thing in Judaism. When you have something that's full and it becomes empty, there's an impurity associated with it. Even Shabbos, on Shabbos, we get a little bit more of our soul. After Shabbos, the soul leaves us and we're left with a little bit of vacuum. It gets filled with impurity. Not the same level of impurity because it's a slightly different level. But uh, when Shabbos ends, we're left with a little bit of sadness, a little bit of negative energy because we lost that potential of spirituality that we we're filled with. That's the rule. Nature abhors a vacuum. When something goes from a higher level to a lower level, it gets filled with that that empty space gets filled with with something called tuma. Okay, that's it for now. You can ask more questions on that later. All right. So the 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 commentaries ask a question in this week's parsha. Last week's parsha, for those of you who are with us, <clears throat> Jaylene and Matt. Uh, oh, and Julia, but no, no one else. Um, <laughs> Last week's Parsha, we talked about the laws of pure and impure animals. We talked about the laws of kosher. This week's Parsha, we talk about laws of impure and impurity by people. And the commentaries ask, why are people coming after animals? What do you guys say? Why are we learning the laws of purity by impurity by people after the laws of animals? Shouldn't people come first? Shouldn't we first learn about people before we learn about animals? Or maybe not. But the Talmud's bothered, so it asks the question. And the Talmud answers that, yeah, animals come first. Why? Because just like in the order of creation, animals were created on before people. So too, in the laws of purity, animals come before people. But the Talmud continues and asks, well, why is that? Why were people created last? And you know, if you look through the Torah, and I just talked to someone about this today, that it really follows the process of what, what's the, what at least the theory of evolution concludes is that fish, reptiles, birds, mammals, people. It's pretty amazing to see that process of evolution there. But why? Why will people last? If the purpose of creation is people, why do they come last? And the Talmud says as follows. that if So what do you guys say? Why do you think people come last?
Oh, wow. That's a good answer. That's actually that's actually one of the explanations, Kabbalistic explanations maybe, is that people are made up of all the other elements of creation. That we have within us the animal and the reptile and the bird. And it's interesting. But, um, right, exactly. So, Ah, oh, we say in the prayers on Friday night, Sof last in action, first in thought about Shabbos. Excellent. So, but the Talmud says a little bit different. The Talmud says, because if a person lives according to his potential, so the entire world was created for them. And they were created and the world was set. The table, it says the table was set. And Adam was created and went right into Shabbos to enjoy the world. But if a person does not live according to their potential, if a person doesn't utilize their spiritual potential for good, so even a mosquito is before them. That's what the Talmud says. So there's a duality, there's a, there's a dichotomy that people have the potential to be the greatest thing in creation or they have the potential to be the lowest thing in creation. We'll talk a little bit more about how that works. But we are the only being that possesses what? The faculty of? Of what? Knowledge. Okay. What, do we, what can we do with that knowledge? Consciousness. Free will. We're the only being that has free will. And therefore, we're the only being that really, it's all for us. Because there's no such thing as a bad animal. No such thing as a bad animal. Animals just are. And there's no such thing as a bad angel. Angels don't have free will either. We're the only species that have, possess both an animal and an angel. Together, smushed right inside the same body. Our body is an animal. Our soul is an angel. We want two totally different things. And because we have drives in opposite directions, that means we have free will. Because free will only exists when there are where there are pulls in opposite directions. Right? If both if if your right hand and your left hand both want the same thing, there's no challenge. But when one wants one, the other wants the other, then you're pulled in different directions. Now you can choose. So that's basically the idea of free will. Okay. So What's the message of, I want to talk about the difference of men and women, okay? And uh, Dan, hang in there. This will be the, the review, but then we're going to go in a slightly different direction. All right. So let me tell you a couple of differences between men and women in Judaism. And then I want you guys to, before you beat me up or hang up, let's try to come up with some answers, okay? First of all, men have a bris. Women do not, as we mentioned. Number two, men have more mitzvahs than women. Men are obligated, not all, different people and different tribes in the Torah have different obligations. But in general, um, women are exempt from time-bound mitzvahs. They're obligated in all negative mitzvahs. That means don't do's. They have to do all the don't do's. But they don't have to do the do's that are based on time. So that's something we have to understand, right? Women don't have to put on tefillin 
because that's a daytime mitzvah. They don't have to wear tzitzis. That's a daytime mitzvah. Um, they do have to keep Shabbos because Shabbos is both a positive and a negative. They do have to eat matzah because matzah is connected to the, the not eating chametz on Passover, Pesach. They don't have to sit in a sukkah. Um, they don't have to uh, pray at a certain time, even though that's rabbinic at the times. Okay, so that's another difference. Uh, furthermore, men are obligated to pray, not only at certain times, but with a minion. Men have to pray with 10 other men. Women, although they're not obligated in time-bound mitzvahs, it's a very good thing for them to pray, but absolutely, absolutely no reason that they have to pray with other women or with a minion of 10 men. Can completely do it on their own at their own time. But still a good thing for women to pray three times a day. A lot of women do pray three times a day, just like men do. Oftentimes when married, some women don't do the third prayer, but they for sure pray for single women. To, it's definitely preferable to pray three times a day. Okay. And finally, men are obligated to learn Torah. Women do not have any obligation to learn Torah. They should learn Torah. They absolutely need to learn Torah to know how to keep the laws of the Torah. But they're not obligated, biblically, to learn Torah on a daily basis. Why? Does that make any sense? And last but not least, it seems to be that, and this is, I'm going to get myself crucified for this one. No, um, it seems to be that there's an addition, even though there's a mitzvah of modesty for both men and women, men can't walk around naked. They have to wear clothes. They have to wear, for the most part, sleeves even, at least uh, up to the elbow probably. Also, shorts, not so, definitely not, you won't find really religious men wearing shorts. But there's certainly a greater emphasis on modesty for women. And again, the question is why? Why is there a difference in terms of the laws of modesty for women and for men? Okay, any questions? Anyone angry? No? <laughs> so don't ask him until the end. <laughs> okay. So now, is, it, is there any suspense here? Does anyone want to know what's going on? So I'm going to tell you one more thing. And for those who have never heard this, you're going to really hate me after this one. Okay? Don't go anywhere. Wait till the end. Um, every day in the prayer book, um, women say a blessing. Thank you, God, for making me according to your will. That's a beautiful blessing. So you would think men should make that same blessing, right? But they don't. What blessing do men make? All right. Wow. Ouch. That hurt. It's like pulling off a band-aid. That hurt. Why? Why do we have to say it like that? And, like, can't we at least say thank you for making me a man? Like, wouldn't that be a more positive or thank you for making me according to your will? Why do we say it in the negative? Anyway, and there are actually three blessings that we say in the negative. Thank you for not making me a non-Jew. Thank you for not making me a slave. Thank you for not making me a woman. Women make the first two. But why is, anyway, is it, why is it in the negative? We should be happy for what we have and what we are, not for what we're not. Great question. I don't know. Sounds sexist. Wait. Wait. Don't throw away your Jewish hat. Okay. So 
let's let's continue. So I want to share with you my approach to answer these questions, and there are many answers and many different approaches to these questions. But what I want to share with you is not new. It's not a feminist, postmodern, apologetic response. I'm going to share with you a traditional, uh, old school, for the most part, approach. Okay, and that's as follows. If you take, but this is this is my my uh, unique perspective on it. If you take a girl and a boy, children, and you lock them up in a cave, and you feed them and provide for all their needs, but they have nothing to do with society. They're completely isolated from socialization. And you let them out of the cave when they're 18 years old. What comes out of the girl's cave? A woman. Same situation for a boy. Feed him for 18 years. Open up the door of that cave. What comes out of the boy's cave? A big boy. A big boy. There is no such thing as maturization, maturization for males without socialization. The male species does not mature without society or religion what do i mean by mature so we have to define obviously maturity but women are innately programmed instinctually programmed to care about community communication emotional connection socialization nurturing monogamy family right that's programmed in the genetics Obviously, there are some women that don't have all of those, but for the majority, for the fact of the human race to continue, you have to have somebody who wants to nurture and raise children, right? And the women are blessed to have that innate drive. Men, on the other hand, and you can blame it on testosterone, are more individualistic, more aggressive, more violent, more selfish, more dominant, more sexually promiscuous less interested in raising children, right? That's just the nature of a male human. You guys agree with that? Does that make sense? Right? Look at the world. Look at all the wars. Look at all the rapes. Look at me too. Look at, right? Not to say that women aren't capable of cruelty and evil. They are. They are capable of abusing people. And there are men that are abused by women. It happens, but it's not the norm, okay? Without society or religion to pressure men to work communally together, to focus on family life, to be monogamous, they won't do it. It only happens when there's an external factor that's pressuring them to do that. So... And if you look at places in the world where society or religion has lost its power, you see the breakdown of male uh, functioning as members of a society. And men become tribalistic. There's much more violence, much less commitment to families. And that's just the nature of the beast, the beast within, right? Men are beasts. That's just what they are. I'm just telling you how it is. 
<laughs> That's right. So additionally, men rarely talk to each other, right? They don't communicate. The only time men communicate is over something else, right? A football game, a barbecue, a beer. They're not going to like get together to just talk. Guys don't do that, right? Women, on the other hand, you can't stop them from talking, right? So, so, um, so that is the nature of what we're dealing with. So now let's try to understand. Um, let's try to understand the mitzvahs, okay? Because men are more animalistic, they therefore need constant reminders that they have a spiritual component. They have a soul, just like women do. Men also have a soul. It's just less naturally part of their day-to-day -day life. So men have to wear yarmulkes. They have to wear tzitzis. They have to put on tefillin every day. They have to pray three times a day in an organized fashion. And they have to pray with other men. They need to be part of a social structure that forces them to do their job. Because if not, they might not do it. The Talmud says that women, however, are gifted with a natural connection to prayer. We learn all the laws of prayer from a woman in the Tanakh, Chana. She teaches us all the laws of prayer, right? It says, the Talmud says that nine, like most of the speech, the element of speech that came into the world was given to women. Now, women do have a gift of gab, of talking, but what that really means is they also have a gift of praying because that's the ultimate use of speech is to pray, pray. So it's much more natural for women to pray. Men have to learn how to do it. It's almost like a rote, forced process for men to connect to praying. So now, what about, so women have less mitzvahs and their mitzvahs aren't time bound because they don't need that constant reminder set into their calendar. Furthermore, they're connected to a biological clock. They're connected to the world of time. It's something that happens naturally within them. So what's a woman's main spiritual job then? Where does she have to challenge herself? If men are challenging themselves to be less animalistic and more spiritual, what's a woman's challenge? So we notice that women have a special mitzvah of modesty. In Hebrew, it's called sneas. Why do women have a special mitzvah of modesty? The answer is very simple. Because a man's nature is to turn a woman into an object. A woman's job is to not let that happen. To do whatever she can to avoid being the object of what's called the male gaze. Of becoming a... SEX object. Got it? With me? Questions? You guys like this so far? Okay, so now let's let's continue. And we'll make sure there's time for questions at the end. So what about the idea of bris? Why do men, men need a bris? Why do men need to be circumcised? And what's the nature of the bris? Why is it in that part of the body? So the answer is very simple. What? Probably. It might have been a year ago. Uh, this week's Parsha. So men 
for for example, the idea first of all of the bris. Yeah, we'll get you'll get there. You're right. You're right, Julie. You're right. Don't worry. The bris symbolizes our relationship with Hashem, and Hashem says, "I want to have a relationship with you in the most physical part of the most physical gender." That's where I want my relationship to you, because I want you to bring me into the physical world. That's where I want to be. I want to be with you in the in physicality. But it's much deeper than that. It's also the most spiritual part of the body. Why is it the most spiritual part of the body? That's where we play God. We bring souls into the world. So that's what Hashem says. I want to be part of you, part of that process of bringing souls into bodies. That's our spiritual job, is to bring spirituality into Physicality. That's the job of Jude, of a Jew. Bring, connecting spirituality to physicality. Nate, what's up? Good to see you, brother. Long time no see. All right. So our job is to bring physicality into spirituality. So why on the eighth day? And what's the message of cutting off? Why are we cutting off? Why is that the symbol of the bris? So the Talmud asks a question. There, one time a Roman uh, matri matriarch came to Rabbi Akiva and she said to him, who makes better stuff, God or man? And what do you think he would, he's going to say? Who's a better creator, God or man? What do you say? God. You would expect him to say God, right? And she was expecting him to say God. And you know what she was going to say back? Oh, yeah? So why are you tampering with the human body? Why are you mutilating yourselves? The Greeks and the Romans were very against circumcision. But the Greeks, it was, a it was messing with the perfect human form. So, but Rebbe Kiva didn't say that. You know what Rebbe Kiva said? Man. Why? Because God creates wheat and Human beings turn it into bread. God creates grapes. Human beings turns it into wine. So man makes better things than God. How's that for a Jewish answer, huh? We're better than God. And what's the message? What's the answer? How does that explain circumcision? Because that's the point. God gives us raw materials. We have to transform those raw materials. We have to elevate those raw materials. We have to pick ourselves up. We were each given a piece of dirt. You know what? You know what? Per, how to say person in Hebrew? Adam. Adam comes from the word Adama, which means ground, earth. A person is essentially a bag of dirt, a dirt bag. Person is a dirt bag. You know what's so unique about dirt? It is whatever you make of it. You plant in it, you work it, it gives, it gives forth fruit. If you do nothing with it, it becomes a, a muddy swamp. That's us. There are people in this world who are walking around pieces of dirt. There are other people who have cultivated their garden, they've worked on themselves, they've refined themselves. They're literally walking around with incredible luscious gardens. It's all a matter of what you do with the raw materials that you were given. God gives you a package of dirt and some seeds, and he says, get to work. That's life. So that's the message of circumcision. And the reason it's given to the boy 
is because the boy has this incredible potential, but he has to really do a lot of work to pick up that potential. So a person has free will because we have pulls in both directions. We have a pull towards our body and our animal, and we have a pull towards our soul, which wants to do great, incredible things. So if we use it, our potential for good, we're the greatest thing in all of creation. If we use it for bad, then even mosquitoes are better than us. Okay? So why is it that we make the blessings in the negative? Thank you for not making me a woman. Thank you for not making me a non-Jew. Thank you for not making me a slave. So I'll share with you two answers. One is mine. And then I'll share with you a traditional ancient answer. Okay? The answer that's mine is as follows. Very simple. A woman says, thank you for making me according to your will. Why? Because a woman was made according to God's will. Innately, according to her nature, her instinct, she is much more in line with her spiritual job. But a man can't say to God, thank you for making me into a man. You know why? Because God didn't make him into a man. If you want to be a man, you have to become a man. You have to get there on your own. Same reason. You can't say thank you for making me a Jew. God gave you potential. What's the potential he gave you? You're not a non-Jew. You want to be a Jew? That's the work you have to do. You have to achieve that on your own. Same thing with not being a slave. You're not a slave. Are you free? That's up to you. Freedom is a state of mind. It's not something you are given by virtue of not being a slave. There are plenty of people in this world who are not slaves, but they're absolutely not free. That's Passover. We talked about it. Okay. So, so now, so, so, and I'll tell you the classical answer and you'll see they go hand in hand. So a man can't say, thank you for making me a man because God didn't make him a man. He gave him just a potential, potential of not being a woman. You want to be a man, you have to work on yourself. So the traditional answer is a little bit different, but, but fair, fits very well together. It says, you can't, why can't we say it in the positive? And why are we saying these blessings anyway in the morning? Why is a man saying, thank you for not making me a woman? Because essentially, if you look at these three different categories, there's non-Jews, then there's slaves, and then there's women. They each have different levels of obligations and mitzvahs. Non-Jews have seven mitzvahs. Slaves have 248 mitzvahs. Women have a lot more. I don't know how many. And men have 600, not, not 613, because not all apply to men anyway, but men have even more. So we're thanking Hashem for giving us mitzvahs. That's the traditional answer. And therefore, we have to be thankful. We have more, we have more mitzvahs. That's an incredible opportunity. But we can't say thank you straight out for making me a man and giving me more mitzvahs. Why? Why can't we say thank you for giving me more mitzvahs? What? Ah. Because what comes along with more mitzvahs? More responsibilities. And more responsibilities means what? Opportunity for failure. So we can't say straight out, thank you for giving me more mitzvahs. Because it's although it's an incredible opportunity, if... We rise to the opportunity and we fulfill our obligations and we do our mitzvahs. But if we don't, it's many more opportunities for failure. So essentially, when the man is making that bracha, what he's saying is, 
thank you for the opportunity to have a long way to go to perfect myself. We do say thank you for giving us the Torah. It's included in there. So that's a good question, though. Why do we say thank you for giving us the Torah? Answer is the Torah gives us, shows us a path in life. Uh, it also gives us obligations, though. You're right. It does give us obligations. But a great question. So I did. I just shared it with you. <laughs> Correct. Because the whole thank you that we're saying is thank you for giving us greater levels of mitzvahs. You can't say thank you for make, not making me a man because a man has more mitzvahs than you. But but you're saying instead, you're saying thank you for making me who I am because you can say thank you for that. Thank you for not giving me all these extra burdens that I might fail at. But essentially, okay, so it's really the same idea. The man has an opportunity to climb up to a very high height. When a man is spiritual, that is incredibly unique because most men are not. Most men in the world are not spiritual. When a man overcomes his animalistic nature, overcomes his selfishness, his desire for physicality, his aggression, he has the potential to be incredibly spiritual, but it's very few that succeed. And that's why you can't straight out say, thank you for making me according to your will. Men weren't made according to God's will. Correct. No. No, woman has uh, has hundreds. Hundreds. You know, you might be thinking of lighting candles, mikvah, and challah. Right, those are special, unique, unique to women, but there's many different aspects to all those mitzvahs also. Okay, so now I want to just explain now a little bit of, of Kabbalah. For those of you um, who listened to my podcast last week, I had an incredible insight into numerology, right? There's something called gematria, numerical values of words. Numbers in Kabbalah have a lot of significance. So I give a class, you please listen to the podcast on the significance of the number 7, 8, 13, and 91. That was really cool. And uh, this is just continuing on that theme. So we know that the world was created in six days. The number six represents the aspects of the physical world. The seventh day is Shabbos. What is the significance of the number seven? So the Kabbalists explain that a metaphor for the physical world is a, is a cube. Okay, If you have a cube, a cube is made up of six sides. Six squares makes up a cube. But if you take six squares, you don't, that doesn't make a cube. How do you turn six squares into a cube? Mathematicians? Connect them. Connect them. So what makes six cubes into a square? It's the inner space, the space that binds them. That is the seventh dimension. The seventh dimension is the inner space. That's the soul. 
The soul of the world is Shabbos. Hashem created the world in six days. That's six separate pieces of reality. And then on the seventh day, infused it with soul that binds the dimensions together. So for the next, for the next uh, several weeks, we're counting seven weeks, 49 days between Passover and Shavuos. For those 49 days, we are working on ourselves to try to perfect the seven different aspects of our emotional nature with all the permutations of the other, other seven aspects. In Kabbalah, there are seven emotional traits, and we have to each day work on one of those seven that, that corresponds to that plus another one of the seven. So there are 49 different aspects of the world. That's seven times seven. The 50th dimension is the day the Torah was given. That corresponds to the number eight. Eight is one step beyond seven. Eight represents the spiritual world, that which is beyond the physical. Okay, the eighth dimension in Kabbalah is the world of that which is beyond. Seven represents the spiritual within the physical. That's called the Shekhinah, the divine presence, the feminine aspect of God who exists within the world. The eighth dimension is the spirituality which is beyond the world. That's the supernatural. That's Hanukkah, eight days. That's the miraculous world. We've talked about it before. So the Torah was given on the 50th day, which is like the same as the eighth day, right? Seven times seven is 49. The 50th is one level above seven. So the ultimate of goal of Judaism is not to go up on Mount Sinai. It's to bring the Torah down to earth. It's the coming down from Mount Sinai. That's the goal of the Torah, is to connect the physical with the spiritual, to bring spirituality into physicality, or to uplift physicality to spirituality. It's the goal of bringing heaven to earth, of bringing eight, the Torah, down into seven. That's the goal of the Torah. So the goal is to connect seven and eight. Avraham, the first Jew, found God at what age? 75. 7.5. The goal of Judaism is to be, create a synthesis between 7 and 8. 7.5. The word Kohen, which means priest, gematria, numerical value, 75. 7.5. Our job is to fuse, to create a fusion of 7 and 8. So, the animal world is created on the sixth day. In Kabbalah, the number seven, the seventh dimension, the seventh emotional, uh, there's something called the ten spheros. I just did a podcast on it. Check it out. I'm going to do more about it soon. There's something called ten spheros, which are ten uh, character traits that God created in order to relate to the world. The seventh of those, seven of those are emotional. The seventh one is, is the feminine aspect. That's the revelation of God in the world. That's the divine presence, the Shekhinah. The sixth dimension is the male dimension. That's the connector. That's the bris. It's called the sixth dimension. It's called Yesod. So animals were created on the sixth day. We see that there's a progression. There's a natural progression in creation from, like we said, from fish to reptiles, birds 
animals, humans. So what's the pinnacle of creation? What's the what's the climax? Close. So Adam was created before Chatzos, before midday on the sixth day. Adam was created on the sixth day. Before Chatzos. Who's last in creation? Eve. The female was created from Adam. Closer to Shabbos. Because the female represents the seventh dimension. Spirituality within physicality. The perfection of the physical world. That's the seventh dimension. So women are actually closer to perfection than men. Men by their nature are closer to the animal kingdom. Created on the sixth day. Women are created closer to the seventh day. So what do we do with that? So a man who's created closer to six, his job is to connect to a higher level. He has to uplift his animal. You got to train your animal. You got you to gotta like discipline your, your donkey. So what does a man have to do in order to achieve spirituality? He has to jump up from six to eight. He has to learn Torah. He has to transcend the physical world. He has to go to the world of the supernatural, which is beyond the physical. He has to get circumcised on what day? On the eighth day. To tell him that he has to minimize his physicality. He has to channel his physicality. He has to cut away a piece of his physicality in order to jump up to the eighth dimension. A man has to achieve can only achieve spirituality by going beyond the physical, by almost becoming ascetic, by separating from the world. That's the eighth dimension. But the goal is that male and female should come together at 7.5. The female representing perfection of the seven, (laughs) and the eight, The male jumping from six up to eight and then coming back down, bringing the Torah down from Mount Sinai, down to earth. The coming together of heaven and earth. That's the goal. So one last point is that, oh, yeah. One last point is that the female dimension corresponds to the heart. Women are generally more emotionally in tune than men. The male dimension is either the body or the mind. A man can jump beyond his body and only achieve spirituality by disconnecting from his body and tapping into his mind. The goal of the heart, and the heart also corresponds to three levels of soul, nefesh, ruach, and neshama, the part of the soul which is called ruach, which is connected to emotions and connected to speech. We said that women are more connected to the world of speech and prayer. The goal of the heart, the goal of the emotions, is to connect the mind with the body. The mind and the body have nothing to do with each other. They don't speak the same language. You need a modem to communicate between the mind and the body. If you want to accomplish your goals in life, you have to learn how to connect your mind with your body. Because your body wants to watch Netflix and sleep on, sleep all day. 
and eat a lot of cake. Your mind knows, no, you have to study for the test. You have to go to work. You have to work on yourself. You have to diet. You have to exercise. But the body doesn't care about any of that stuff. So the only way to affect the body is through the heart because the heart understands the language of the mind and the language of the body. So the only way to achieve your goals in life is to learn how to inspire your emotions, right? We make all our decisions based on our emotions, really. So that's the feminine level. The feminine job is to connect the eighth dimension with the sixth dimension, to tie together all three aspects. And that's why you need the union of male and female to bring together both levels. And uh, ultimately, I'll say one last thing. This is an insight that I had a while ago. And uh, I could get in trouble for saying it, but I'm going to tell you guys because we're all friends that why is the ultimate, why is marriage in Judaism male and female? Okay. Without getting political or politically correct or incorrect here. Why is the, the goal male and female? Why is that? So there's, there's a lot of answers to that question, right? So, but the point of the point of marriage is not just to have children, right? There's more to marriage than having children. Okay, so but again, you you can procreate without marriage, and you can be married without procreation. So what's the purpose of marriage? The goal of marriage, there's a there's a few answers. For two people to become one, and the ultimate way for that to happen, the ultimate expression of oneness is when opposites come together, right? So that's one answer. But I want to share with you another answer, which I think is radical, radical, and we're going to end with this, okay? But don't hate me. If you don't like it, just, just come back next week and tell me, all right? I think it's radical. Is as follows. You need male and female because the ultimate society has to be run with someone who's disconnected from their emotions and someone who's connected to their emotions. What do I mean by that? The whole learning of Torah involves disconnection from your emotions. That's what happens when you study Talmud, is you're supposed to learn to seek truth without caring if you're right or wrong, to overcome your ego and your need to be right, your need to be emotionally satisfied, and just to seek truth. That is the, hold on, hold on, hold, Julia, Julia, hold on, hold on. Questions at the end. So the purpose of learning Talmud, one of the purposes, is to learn to seek truth without emotion, to disconnect from your emotions. And that really is without the process of Talmud or maybe some intense, I don't know, meditation or something, it's almost impossible to make rational decisions in life. Everyone, and this is proven psychologically, and I can bring you study after study that shows that, that the world makes decisions based on emotions. There is nobody who makes decisions based on their intellect. It just doesn't happen. All of our decisions are based on emotions. Studies don't change our minds. We don't read facts. There's no such thing. Everyone in the world is brainwashed by their emotions, by their upbringing, by their society, and it's all emotion. But if you learn Talmud correctly, you can disconnect from your emotions and learn how to make rational decisions. So a family is supposed to be run by one person who learns Talmud. But why are women forbidden from learning Talmud to some extent? Not because they can't learn Talmud, not because they're not intellectual, 
but because you have to have someone in the family who knows only how to feel, who doesn't disconnect from their emotions. Because you imagine how cold a life that would be if everyone was disconnected from their emotions. It's a terrible thing, but the man has to do it because he has to disconnect from his body in order to connect to spirituality. But the female dimension is to be connected to the emotions. So that's ultimately why you need a union of male and female for the ideal family is to bring together the mind with the heart. Not to say that women don't have minds and that they're not intellectual, but they do have the ability to connect to emotions oftentimes in a much more deep way than men. Men have to train themselves to learn how to connect to their emotions. So, so, so the, the two don't go hand in hand. If you're very emotional, you're not super rational. <laughs> it's just not, they're opposite energies, right? If you're super emotional, you are feeling, you're making decisions from your heart. If you're intellectual, you're not, you're, you're ignoring your heart, actually. Someone just asked me that today, I think. Does, is Judaism say to make decisions from your mind or from your feelings? And I said, the goal is to make decisions from our mind. And then once we made our decision, to attach our feelings to that decision. So in summary, and then we'll make time for a few questions. In summary, the goal of life is to connect eight with seven, to bring spirituality into physicality. And a human being is created last because we have the potential to be the greatest thing in creation. We also have the potential to be the lowest thing in creation if we don't use our potential for good. And that's what's so unique about the human being. And according to the Torah, men and women both have an incredibly important role to play. Neither one greater than the other, but women are more connected to the seventh dimension, the revelation of spirituality in physicality within the world, perfection of the world, number seven. Men are more connected to the animal world. In order for them to connect to spirituality, they have to jump out of the body, disconnect from the emotions, climb up to the eighth dimension, the supernatural, the spiritual world, and then bring that back down into the world through the feminine energy. So I want to wish you all a beautiful Shabbos. And now let us take questions. <laughs>